It's just gone 11 o'clock at night, so you know what that means. It's time for episode 3 of my Flock Experience. Cue intro. I've just finished up my second day of lectures at the Federated Logic Conference. The routine was the same as yesterday, breakfast in the dining room at St Anne's College before heading to the sessions. This morning, I shared breakfast with some familiar faces. You may remember Giorgio, who I spoke to yesterday during a break. It turns out that he's finished his PhD and now works as an assistant professor. He's trying to come up with some kind of measure for how similar two programs are in behaviour when they're written in a probabilistic programming language. I asked him about the feasibility of this. I imagined a scenario where some conditional in a program is very sensitive to a variable, and when that variable is set probabilistically, then it would surely become almost impossible to reason about the behaviour of the program. He explained that you can assign a probability distribution across branches of the program's execution to try and make sense of it. I asked him what languages he studies, and I'm sorry to say I don't remember the names of those he mentioned. I asked him whether he occasionally strips back the abstraction of a programming language, and considers a simple Turing machine model with the ability to make a random choice. He said he sometimes does this, and we spoke a bit about the differences between a Turing machine with randomness and a non-deterministic Turing machine. He said he sometimes studies the lambda calculus too, and we spoke a bit about it being useful to have both models available, depending on what you're trying to do. By now, you've probably noticed I'm spending a lot of time speaking to people and trying to understand what they do. For me, this conference is a great opportunity to meet people that I don't usually interact with and find out a bit about them. I'm sure many of my questions are quite basic, and my recitals of their answers get many details wrong, but I think it's important to at least try and understand what these people are about. I'm somewhat regretful not to have spoken to a wider variety of people. I think tomorrow I'd like to make a point of speaking to those from minority groups, if I can. Today, I'm glad to say the sessions were slightly less theoretical than yesterday. The first was on Bayesian learning, and I particularly enjoyed this lecturer's style and cadence. He was very clear in his explanations, and as much as possible, explained things in a straightforward way. He spoke a bit about the difference between the frequentist viewpoint and the Bayesian viewpoint to statistics. It turns out there are two camps, or ways of thinking about statistics, and it's more of a philosophical question which one is correct. My basic understanding is that the Bayesian viewpoint is much more like the kind of probability you studied in school, where you're considering probability distributions and random events. You can use this kind of reasoning in lots of different ways. You might ask questions about how likely it is that two events occur at the same time, or whether two variables are statistically independent of each other. At its heart, Bayesian learning uses Bayes' theorem, which is the one that lets you calculate the probability of A given B if you know the probability of B given A and the likelihoods of A and B. This idea fits naturally with machine learning because you're often trying to learn something from observations about the world then make predictions about the world from what you've learned. I didn't fully understand the frequentist viewpoint, but the lecturer provided a helpful comparison. A machine learning algorithm for classifying images that has been trained in a frequentist manner wouldn't cope well if it were given a new example with half the image missing. A Bayesian approach, on the other hand, would still be able to make inferences from the available data and attempt to classify the image. The lecturer spoke a bit about the inherent reversibility in Bayes' theorem and how this contributes to its power. 
This made me wonder about the time complexity of these techniques, as in other cases where I've seen reversibility, it usually comes at a significant cost. The next part of the lecture introduced a way of thinking about probability distributions in terms of runnable code. A guesser function would output something that would be fed to a checker function that could accept or reject the guess. This process continues until a guess is accepted. A simple example of this would be a guesser that outputs a random number between 1 and 100, and a checker that accepts numbers greater than 50. When these functions are combined in this way, you end up with something that's equivalent to a binomial distribution of coin tosses. This gives you a way to connect probability distributions with arbitrary functions, which lets you reason about them in either the domain of mathematics and probability, or the domain of functions and programs. I thought this was neat. There were quite a few pseudocode examples in this section, and I had my laptop in front of me, so I had a quick go at implementing some of these ideas. I wrote something that printed out the probability distribution based on a sequence of binary digits. I don't remember all the details, but I still have the code as a useful reference. At some point, I'd like to organise these podcast episodes onto a website, so I'll try and upload the code and any other resources I've collected alongside them. The lecture continued, and we were introduced to Bayesian networks, and their representations as directed acyclic graphs. Interestingly, there was quite a lot of discussion about reducing the number of edges in these graphs, if you know that two variables are independent of each other. Furthermore, we looked at conditional independence, and how this applies to these networks. I think this related to my initial thoughts on reversibility and its costs. Many of the techniques were focused on reducing and simplifying the networks, so that they can be constructed in a reasonable amount of time, otherwise these techniques wouldn't work. I had a brief lunch today, as I was keen to find a few minutes to edit yesterday's episode of this podcast. The afternoon session was about reinforcement learning, and the lecture was given by someone who works in the Google DeepMind project. We looked at some classic Atari games like Pac-Man and Breakout, in the first 90 minutes of the session, we went through the definition for partially observable Markov decision processes. I'll try and explain this briefly. Firstly, a Markov model is a directed graph where each node represents a state. At each time step, you follow an edge in the graph. These edges have weights that denote the probability the edge is followed. Markov models are fairly simple, but many problems fit this model well. They have the advantage that they're easy to reason about, so for example, you could ask questions like, what is the probability of being in a specific state after some number of moves? Things like that. A Markov decision process is an extension of a Markov model that introduces some notion of control. Transitions are no longer entirely random and depend on some action that can be taken by an agent. There's also the notion of reward, the agent making these decisions is trying to maximise its reward when transitioning between states in the model. That probably sounds quite abstract, but it's actually a fairly simple idea once you see some concrete examples. During my coffee break between sessions, I went to my room and watched some YouTube videos explaining these concepts as a refresher on the topic. There's a further extension I won't go into now called partial observability, in practice, this is what you'd use unless you're dealing with a perfect information game, like chess or Go. In the second session on reinforcement learning, we looked at how to train these Markov decision processes. There are several ways to do that, and one of them is based on neural networks. There's something called a recurrent neural network. Here the word recurrent refers to the fact that these networks are influenced by their previous state. There's a recurrence relation in its definition. 
This works well for Markov models because they need to remember state. Towards the end of the lecture, the discussion turned to the lecturer's research at DeepMind and the latest research in the field. Most of this went over my head. All in all, I feel pleased with how much I understood today. The topics were less theoretical, and I could understand the practical applications of these ideas. It was also enjoyable to code up some of the ideas being discussed during the lecture to help my understanding. By dinner time, I was feeling tired and I joined two older gentlemen discussing everything from driving in Italy to corruption in the construction industry. The food was delicious and I retired to my room shortly afterwards. Tomorrow it's another early start and I need my sleep. Thanks for listening.